Hello, hello. Hey up, what's up, what's good? Welcome to the Any Given Runway Show. I'm your host, Randall Carlton Green. Any Given Runway celebrates the exploration of new cultures by highlighting some of the most artistic, athletic, tenacious, basically unique and interesting people in the world. Everyone has a story, each person a scholar. Welcome to season three. As we continue to seek out some of the most unforgettable humans, some of the most memorable stories, in the first two seasons, the show featured guests from over 60 different countries and will continue down that path because it is imperative that we cherish the differences. And we can only do that by getting out and journeying into unknown frontiers, whether it be physically or simply through conversation, sharing lovely experiences and saluting the tenacious and resilient guests. We have an exceptional, exceptional episode for you today with a brilliant guest, presenter, sports commentator, and announcer serving as lead presenter and play-by-play commentator for the UFC, John Gooden, joins the show. From developing, interviewing, and writing techniques whilst working in the City of London to learning about all aspects of television production while with the BBC, John has acquired a unique set of skills for broadcasting, and as the years of competitive sports continue to take their toll, it is behind the mic that he now feels more comfortable. That said, John can still be seen lacing up the gloves, wearing the gi, and also clocking up miles in triathlons. Aside from all that, John is a husband and proud father. He's a left footer. He's an Arsenal fan. My heart goes out to him for that. He's a vegan. He's an Ironman triathlon finisher, qualified electrician and inspector, and a producer for the UFC. But above all that, he's a hell of an interview, and it was a fantastic conversation. On today's episode, John and I talk about a little bit of everything. My favorite type of conversations as we discuss travel, food, books, And you'll hear him talk about how competing as an MMA athlete has benefited as an announcer and how it's helped him gain rapport with some of the athletes. John also talks about being uncomfortable and how uncomfortable situations help him figure out what's important. Lastly, we talk about travel. We talk about vegan London restaurants. And we talk about the books that have inspired John. This was such an enjoyable conversation. I feel we clicked from the beginning. I admire his dedication to his craft and I admire that he's willing to get pounded down on the mat to see how he react. His ethos for life is outstanding, and it's really cool to see how dedicated he is for his passions, whether it be announcing, competing as a triathlete, or simply being a great husband and father. You're going to love him. Let's go ahead and bring on announcer, producer, and host for the UFC, John Gooden. And let's learn. One thing I love about you is you're not just a bystander when it comes to MMA. You also practice combat sports yourself. So for you, how does, how does competing in jiu-jitsu, how does that help you as an announcer? Yeah, well, the jiu-jitsu thing's actually kind of the, the newest one out of all of them. So I started martial arts when I was about seven. So I, I would I just maintain that martial arts is, has been a very good addition to my life. It really has helped mold a, a lot of my approaches to different situations and it's given me confidence in many different ways you know obviously like physically but but yeah it teaches you to it puts you in uncomfortable positions a lot of time and I think it's good to get uncomfortable to try new things and uh, be in the company of, of other people travel around but but also be super uncomfortable in ways that kind of take us back to you know, the, uh, the, the more primal elements that you can't really challenge or get uh, unless you are really doing something like combat sports. I've tried a whole bunch of other sports and I just keep coming back to combat sports. So 
I think that I have, I think having trodden the boards, albeit at a low level, you know, judo was that national stuff. I would just compete nationally in and around the UK. I went on to karate. I did a little bit of competing karate, then onto boxing. So I was in, I was in the ring doing like novice ABA stuff. Um, and then I transitioned into trying to find MMA via kind of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and, and Muay Thai. And I did some amateur MMA bouts and also some submission grappling stuff. So I've tried to do quite a bit of all of this stuff, but never stuck at any one thing long enough or hit it when I was in a decent state physically. I came to MMA quite quite late. I was in my late 20s, so essentially I was... I was always going to struggle to put a career together, but I was willing to give it a go. And I still like to try and uh, put myself on the mats as, as often as I can. So to answer your question, I, I feel it's a very natural thing for me. So it's within my vocabulary, all of this stuff. It's in my, in my emotions of how I feel about martial arts and combat sports, because I have had a little taste, albeit, as I say, at a very kind of local low level, but it allows me to um, mine for certain information out of those that have obviously gone on and done much, much more prestigious stuff with their careers than, than what I ever did. So, so I think that I, I, I ask the correct kind of questions. And because I'm still at that amateur level with my own practice, I know where I want to get to. So I, I'm, I feel like I'm a decent conduit because I can, I can step between the two worlds with the skills of being a broadcaster and things of that nature. So I'd like to think that it does influence my commentary. It certainly has been fed back to me via my superiors that they can see the passion and my technical understanding. One thing that really stuck out when you were talking about that is that you're still learning. So you have a beginner's mind and often beginner's minds are the most curious because as you get used to something, maybe you get a little bit jaded and you're not as open to new things. Do you feel that beginner's mindset helps you as well? Yeah, I've, I call myself a learner by trade. You know, I'm constantly chopping and changing. My, my, I remember my mum always saying I never stuck at anything. And actually, it's, it's something now that I'm very aware of because it, had I stuck with judo or karate back when I was younger, I'd have been a black belt in probably both of those disciplines by now and would have moved on. And, and that would have just given me even better credential for the job that I'm doing today. But the one thing I would say with that, and we have to look at my career from, you know, going through school and then, and then university and I worked in financial markets and then I left there and I went into TV for a little while and I left there and I went back to the finance and then I worked with my dad as a tradesman. I've had to relearn a lot. And it, it's kind of, I feel sometimes like I'm a bit tired of keep learning stuff and starting from the beginning, but it's very humbling. Because certainly when I became an electrician again, I was one of the older members in that classroom when I was relearning that trade. But I learned quickly because I had a different, I had a different approach. And even when I went into TV for the first time, again, I was a little bit older than the other candidates and the, the newer members of the team. And I had a commercial background. So I've always been able to kind of stick out, but, but also not been too egotistical. You have to be humble and martial arts teaches you that. So yeah, in many different respects, I've, I feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm constantly learning, starting again. I'm not afraid to. There will, my career will meander 
it already has done even within the UFC. Uh, and I should look at that with excitement rather than fear. As, as I've learned, everything will be okay. It always kind of works its, itself out. I'm fascinated by the word you keep saying as well as being comfortable. And it's being in those uncomfortable situations that has really trained your mind. Can you talk more about, a lot of people know the physical benefits of martial arts. Can you talk a little bit more about how you personally have benefited from the mental aspects of martial arts? Yeah, well, I, I think as uh, I've, I've been quite a hothead, like growing up, I always had, I think I was bullied when I was younger, so there's some sort of pent-up frustration within, and I I don't like I don't like seeing seeing things done to people that if they don't sit well with me, I find it very difficult to uh, to, to cope with that. So that sometimes means that on a day-to-day -day basis, I might get quite wound up. But you go down into the into the gym, into the academy, into the dojo, wherever it may be, and you get your ass handed to you. 15, 20 times uh, in a session, all of a sudden that stuff disappears. So in terms of just your mood and mindset, it's a very good leveler for me in that sense. Um, I think also it's allowed me to look at different philosophies, different ways of, of life. Obviously, there's a, there's a lot of Eastern stuff involved in many martial arts. It's the birthplace of a lot of the martial arts that I've practiced. And then more recently with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, even though that still has its, its beginnings in Japan, it's obviously had this influence and there's this Brazilian culture and we have some Portuguese words and I'm just obviously then attracted to like Brazilians. So, so it's just interesting. It, it brings out lo lots of different other aspects of one's character and you, you sort of develop on the back of that. Sports media, very competitive, extremely competitive. And I know that one of the things, it seems like there's a little bit of distrust towards media nowadays. So for you, how do you develop relationships and develop that rapport with the athletes that you're working with? Yeah, I, I'm not going to lie. I think having UFC dot, 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 after your name uh, gives you a, a lot of um, benefits. It's, I think about this a lot because I don't just do this. The stuff that is perhaps seen on camera is maybe half of what I do for the UFC. I produce a lot of features for them. So uh, when we talk about learning new skills, I, I was never a producer before I joined the UFC. It was an opportunity that was offered to me actually via the the uh, the crew some camera guys that i'd historically worked with and it's a bit of a long story but anyway i ended up becoming a producer and learning my way through that and i and i walk into these gyms sometimes and and everyone's so warm towards me and i'd like to think i'm a nice guy and i'd like to think i don't ruffle too many feathers along the way but even so i, I i'm astounded sometimes at how nice people are to me but I also I also kind of think is that because I'm a UFC commentator or I'm a UFC producer and these these guys and girls they obviously think very highly of the UFC they want to be in their good graces because if they're not already with them then they want to be with them so it's a it's a warm call um so there is that but also I'm not a journalist so I'm not out there trying to break news I and I sort of grapple with this. It's probably why you don't see me on social media so much, kind of passing judgment, just because I have such a good relationship with 
the the athletes that's the most important thing to me really is that that's what got me to the dance obviously my superiors at the ufc and and the fans have, have got to connect with you but i'm in this to represent those those athletes so it's very important to me that they they do like me if i started getting out there kind of speaking to them one day and them telling me something and then i go and spread that and like I've, i don't think i've ever broken anyone's trust and and that's very important but i but i play i sit in a certain position where as i'm not a journalist it's not my job to really kind of be out there breaking news and saying controversial things i'm out there as a cheerleader for athletes for the for whichever organization that i work for as an educator and as an entertainer so i feel like that gives me it, a lot of that's just a uh, uh, more positive spin on everything there's not a lot of negative that comes uh, by virtue of my job title what's been the reception from the athletes when you're asking that beginner's mind question for your own mma training uh, athletic training when you ask them what's been the general reception like oh really you're training how do they feel towards that yeah when when some of the uh, coaches and some of the fighters have discovered a lot, a lot of them actually want to they want to they'll invite you down and I'm very you know they're very gracious with their time I'm like why would you want to train with me I'm like a lowly blue belt or I'm a lowly amateur MMA guy and you're kind of world class but I've been very privileged to be on the mat with a few of them and you know I'm not saying that I've got many skills to show but I think even just the will to to get involved and do it and the understanding I was uh, there's a, a UFC legend called Matt Serra he's a former champion who's still kind of part of the UFC setup they got a podcast and he found out that I'd had a couple of and I was trying to downplay it like this really were kind of low key MMA bouts and he was he went wild over it he thought it was excellent and it, he's now seen me in a whole in a whole new light and I was like okay well that's only a good thing but yeah I, I do i now do lean into it just because i do feel like i can bring something more than what they perhaps thought i did recently we had uh, a fighter cub swanson uh, who's a very notable uh, fighter that we have in the in the ufc he came out and said i, I think that all media members should have at least uh, two uh, amateur mma fights because some people do ask silly questions um i don't necessarily think that's necessary by the way but i could see what he was getting at and people do ask some pretty raw questions sometimes and there's a lack of understanding about what these athletes go for uh, go through and i and i genuinely believe combat sports athletes particularly mixed martial artists have it so tough it's such a tough gig and such a small percentage actually make it it's uh, it's very unforgiving um yeah so so i can see why he said that but i've been very lucky you've mentioned that you feel much more comfortable in front of the camera now so what do you know now about being in front of the camera that you wish you would have known when you first started hmm still things that i do today and it's just sort of part of my preparation is uh don't overscript things kind of just be uh, uh have more confidence in your natural flow. I'm actually putting together some courses at the moment for people to I call it interview technique but it's actually just the art of asking good questions, uh pre presenting and then commentary. And it's 
and that's helped me. I've had to go back and kind of uh, reverse engineer everything a little bit. But yeah, if you, I do remember in the early days, I would have all of these fancy words that I'd want to get out in that small kind of 30 second piece of the camera. And as I'm going, as I'm actually saying it on the mic, if I'd missed one of those words, I'd feel it. And sometimes you can see it in my face. I'm quite an expressive person. And I've had friends, producers turn around and go, you can see in your face that you didn't get out what you wanted to get out. Whereas if I'd have just given myself a framework to work within and then it didn't really matter. As long as I got from A to C, it didn't really matter how I got there. I can use whatever words come to mind. So I think I used to really, really try. I was over-prepared and I wanted it to sound exactly like that. But these things don't always work that way. And it's better just to be a bit more natural rather than totally scripted. Well, in covering mixed martial arts in the UFC, you've been able to visit many amazing locations, especially over the last year. So throughout your travels, which are the locations that still stick with you, the ones that you wake up and you still think, dang, that was, that was a great trip? Oh, Australia every time. I love Australia. It's such a unique, such a unique spot of the world. It really is. And, and what's obviously quite bizarre in the way is the fact that they're very much like us Europeans and those from North America as well. It's just a slight difference in accent, but the Australians share a lot of the same sporting loves that we do in the UK and the uh, the sense of humor is very similar as well but but outside of that this this you'll you'll understand this one of the things that i always think about in australia is the bird song like waking up in australia and listening to their birds in the uk we have very poor bird song it's it's gnarly it really is the crows and the sparrows and the magpies. They don't make nice sounds. But in Australia, you've got things like kookaburras and stuff like that. And I just remember I was lucky enough to bolt on two weeks after a show with my wife. And we drove, uh, stopping off, but we drove from Sydney down to Melbourne. And every morning we'd wake up and we'd like this, like just the sounds. The sounds were incredible. The sights of it. That was just the first thing was you open your eyes, you hear, right? So that was the first thing. And then obviously you go out and see the wonderful nature that they have. It was, uh, you know, what the hell's a kangaroo? Like, that's the biggest bunny rabbit you've ever seen. Like they are the craziest creatures, aren't they? Just wild. So yeah, I've, I've lucky, luckily been over there probably on about four different occasions, I think now for work. And it typically happens around this time of year, around November actually. Uh, and Sadly, that's, that's not going to happen this year, maybe next year. It's that kind of that annual trip to Australia that I absolutely adore. So that was one big one. Singapore is a, is a very unique place as well. Not really, I mean, I'm a big kind of nature guy, but that's, it's very, it's not so much the nature thing there. It's very clean and built up, just but culturally quite interesting. So I, I, do, I do like Singapore. And, and I have to say, I, I just love going to the US. I really do. I've been to Vegas now a few times. Obviously, you've got the strip and the bright lights. But beyond that, like Red Rock and everything around there, is, it's just stunning. And, and I truly want to see a whole lot more of, of the US. It's just I don't have a, a work visa to be able to kind of parlay that with, with the professional side. But that's maybe how I have to spend my pennies. Fantastic answer, but 
I didn't hear anything about food. I know you're a big food guy. So which of the locations (laughs) you'd almost travel back to that location just to eat a certain thing? Well, maybe that's another reason why I liked Australia so much. So I've, I've been vegan for like seven years now. So that, that makes it quite a restricted diet. And when you go on the road, it's going to sound like I'm hating on some places now, but what, like China was really tough for me, super tough. And I, I didn't get a great vibe in China, if I'm honest. We went to Beijing. We weren't there a, a really long time, but it, it just wasn't, it was quite, I think when you go on a business trip, it's different to if you're just going traveling for, for your own means, because if you're there on business, like we are for the UFC, everything's moving so fast. They are long, hard days and you kind of need, excuse me, the infrastructure to work for you. And you, immediately, like Russia and China, they don't use the same language that we do. So it's, even, it's quite difficult to decipher things just in terms of going to a supermarket and picking up some stuff. Uh, so yeah, they, they were very challenging places. But then on the flip side, Australia have probably one of the best service industries, like food service industries in the world. Their coffee is outstanding. And I, I, a bit like I don't really do drink and everything else. So I'm, a, I'm kind of a bit of a coffee nerd. So coffee is incredible, although the amount of money that these things cost over there, good Lord. Uh, but well, you they are the price up by talking about it too. Yeah, <laughs> you're absolutely right. Yeah, so they they have great j- just great restaurants and they they do things well that you can't afford to give someone a bad meal or a bad drink in Australia apparently. And Melbourne is like right up high on that list. And just the options for a for a plant eater like me, it would just blew my mind. So for for sure, Australia ticks that box again. And I, I'm going to struggle really with anywhere else. I'll tell you where else is actually very good. It's slightly closer to home, but people wouldn't have thought it. Scotland. Um, in Glasgow, which is not typically the sort of place that like Edinburgh is the, the most beautiful place from what I understand. There's, there's a lot of culture there as well. Glasgow has culture of different types, but, it's, but actually for vegans... Like Glasgow is outstanding. So that was, again, that, that was a good trip for me work-wise that I was able to uh, indulge in whichever way I wanted. I had a full belly. And we know that that makes a, a happy person when they can eat and drink well. A full belly, happy heart. Fantastic information on that. How'd you handle the last year? Just with all this, the struggles with the things being canceled, probably a lot of uncertainty that you had to face professionally and then just with these additional restrictions and everything going on. Oh, I don't know if I, I don't know how if I have. Um, <laughs> I think I'm I'm going to. I certainly got a, a decent hangover financially from this. I haven't really done my job this year. I I haven't called a fight since January. Yeah, so I'm going to go a year without doing my job, and that's uh, that's a pretty painful thing to consider because with the UFC, you're expected to deliver. When I get back on that microphone, you, then I've got to hit the ground running. So that, that will bring about some performance anxiety for me, for sure. Um, it's, but what can you do? You can't just sit there and cry about it. I, I did think about taking on another job, but I, I have been lucky with the UFC that we've been doing some stuff remotely and there's still been some uh, producer gigs that I've been able to, to go out and do. So there's been stuff, but it, it's not quite enough to, to pay the bills, if I'm honest. So it's been, it, it's been very challenging, but I'm, I'm confident, quietly confident, and I'm 
hopeful that we're going to have a good year next year. And whereas I've had to just pull the bootstraps in, we'll, we'll level it out by the end of next year. And I know I'm not alone in this situation. So, yeah, in the meantime, I've just been doing what I can, spending more time with my family, which is a challenge when you do a job like mine, where you pretty much get on an aeroplane to go to work and you're away for a week at a time. Or with 2020, when we did what was called Fight Island, I was away for three, four weeks on three separate occasions. And that puts an awful strain on someone's marriage and their relationship to their young daughter, who's still just three years old. So a lot of those things I've been able to deal with. You, you just have to work towards the stuff that you can and things that are beyond your control. Well, you just have to try your best to move past them. It makes me think back to the, what you mentioned earlier about being uncomfortable. So for someone who embraces being uncomfortable in uncomfortable situations, how do you handle uncertainty when you don't know the answer? What do you do? What do you turn to? I'm not very good at that, actually. I'm really not. It's not something that I go for. And my example of that is actually with the work stuff. So I have been employed by someone or had been employed by someone until probably five years ago, I would have said. Yeah. And that was like either a weekly or a monthly paycheck. And all of a sudden, now I'm a freelancer. There's this uncertainty that comes with it. And there's the, the whole management of your lifestyle around that. And I just, I'm only really, I was just about getting a handle on things. And then the, the pandemic uh, broke through. There's a lot of other skills that need to come with, with that. Some people really enjoy that. They enjoy like, I don't know what we're going to be doing next. That's great. But I, unfortunately, I come from a bit of a worrying, well, my mum was a bit of a worrier and I'm afraid I spent far too much time with her when I was growing up. So now I've inherited that. I've imitated that, uh, that emotion quite well and successfully. And I look around these four walls that I'm in going, well, I hope I can still pay the bills uh, to, to keep this going. And what are we going to do? What are we going to do there? But I think I, have a, I do have a decent support system around me, particularly from, from my wife. My, my dad is, a, is someone who's had his own business ever since, well, for as long as I can remember, probably 40 years. So I think you just have to, again, just work towards the things, the positive things. I am a worker by nature. I think a part of my anxiety comes from being stagnant. I'm not very good at that. But that's also me always wanting to work, work, work means that does put pressure on my family life and my marriage. So now I've been able to kind of address that balance. Not that I truly believe that you can properly achieve balance. We can all strive for it, but something always seems like it's out of whack. Uh, so that's all that I've been able to really do. And we'll see how we, <laughs> how we emerge out of 2021 and if it's been successful or not. Well, I'm curious also, because I know that you are an avid triathlete and, and probably there were a lot fewer events to train for and it, you had the time to train and the time to get at it but you didn't have events to go for yeah well I'd taken a back step so I, I've been the triathlon thing is something that I'm probably was looking to pursue a bit more next year I'd had a few years in between where I was really attacking it I was settling into the martial arts stuff so I, I was I recently did a jiu-jitsu competition but I was looking to be more active in like submission wrestling and, and jujitsu, I wanted to 
my own martial arts journey has been interrupted a few times through injury and things of that nature. Otherwise, I would have been a lot further down the line. So I really wanted to, while, while I had this opportunity, get some good, consistent time on the mat and hopefully get my purple belt. It's been a long time as a blue belt now. Um, so there was, I just had different ambitions. But even there, for example, the, the competition that I went to was oversubscribed. Uh, it was great to see people out, like the jiu-jitsu community, different from the MMA community. They do obviously kind of dovetail a little bit, uh, but it was it was nice. It's you know you're not kicking and punching each other in the face, so it's it's a slightly different feel to everything. But it was good to see everyone expressing themselves and out enjoying and being competitive and showing what they can do. And that was uh, you know only a, probably a month or so back. And since then, there have been lots and lots of different competitions going on. So things are gearing up a bit better. But on the triathlon side, what I will say is there are now way more people that are interested in triathlete and um, mass participation events because people were forced into just running. They had limited time to get out and do things. Here in the UK, we were locked down a lot more severely than, than I think um, you guys were in, in North America. And I, it was so many more people were out cycling. It was like an excuse, like you were flexing the rules a little bit. Uh, so you, loads more bikes on the road, loads of people running. Maybe the swimming was the elements that they, they, they couldn't really address. So I reckon that the, the field out there would be a lot stronger and more competitive uh, when I go back out there next year. Well, with everything, with the turbulent events and, and everything that you've gone through, what do you feel is the biggest life lesson you've learned from the last 18 months? Um, I'm not sure if it's a good one or a bad one. <laughs> because this has happened a couple of times to me now where I've, where I've actually felt, uh, because I've chopped and changed my career so much, I, and we've lived, we live in like a, a pretty affluent area. And I don't mean that we're necessarily affluent. We got in when the housing market crashed. But as a result of being here, things are ever so expensive. And, and I do feel like we, we live close to that red line quite a bit. And I think you get into situations like we have here now. And we had some problems with, um, with my daughter's health a, a couple of years ago where you, as a bloke of my age, you know, I'm over 40 now, I feel like you do need to have a pot of money ready to carry yourself through certain times. If nothing else, just to, just for the mental, just so that you know that you're, you're good. Um, so not kind of living beyond your means. We didn't live beyond our means, but we were affected where we were getting to a point where if we carried on the way that we were, not that anyone could, um, but it, we would get that way. It sounds like a very grown-up thing to say. It's kind of that, that, unfortunately, though, has been a bit of a lesson for me. So I've been actively doing a bit more investing and looking in a few different directions just so that I can galvanize my position and looking after my family alongside this job. Because this job is a dream for me, and... I'll be honest, you know, I earn more doing this than what I did before as an electrician. I only ever wanted to swap out that salary, uh, but, but we've gone one better. Uh, but at the same time, I, I, I now I'm in a bit of a hurry to uh, make sure there's a, there's a decent nest egg, uh, if not just for me, for, for my family and, and my daughter as well. Well, I can tell you're incredibly intelligent. You're, you're a deep thinker and you appreciate diverse experiences. So then it begs the question, I pretty much know the answer. Are you a reader? I'm guessing you are. And if so, do you have any book recommendations for us? 
Yeah, I I mix it up. I was I used to really listen to a lot of podcasts, and I hadn't done that so much. But then I I found out uh, my Audible account. I clocked up about eighty hours last year on Audible, so I was getting through a lot of books there. And I do like to read as well. I I think that it it sticks a, a little bit more if you if you actually read it because if you're listening on, you're typically doing something else, right? So, um, what am I doing at the moment? So. You were saying earlier, I guess, about, you know, what do you do when you stood down a little bit and learning? And one of the, I think the book that I'm reading, I'm pretty sure it's called Make It Stick. So it's basically looking at the science behind learning. I have a terrible memory. Terrible. So it it talks about the different methodologies that they use in schools and perhaps how you and I were taught incorrectly. We were essentially looking to just get through exams like the next week or something so I've been so it's a really good book I think for anyone that needs to uh, retain information like I do I have to go back and spit out facts uh, so that that's a good one make it stick uh, what was what's another one that I really I, I've been reading John Grisham recently just for just for fun so <laughs> He's, he's been a, a good author and I'd not read fiction for so long, but actually I, I, I love the English language and, and I do need to get back to reading more of it because a lot of these kind of either business books or sports uh, biographies, as much as they're well-written, just, just the playfulness with the English language and the imagination, uh, the imaginative stuff's not quite there. So that's, uh, there, there are, there's a couple of directions there. I'm just trying to think of another book that blew my mind. Um, I'd say one, one that, that very much surprised me, and that was by Happy by Darren Brown. Darren Brown? Darren? The uh, hypnotist guy. Okay. I don't know this one. This is good. <laughs> so Darren Brown is a guy. He's on Netflix. He's like a, an illusionist. He's a, he's a hypnotist guy. That's what we know him as. But um, this guy is so intelligent. Good Lord. I didn't realize how well-educated he was. And he wrote this book called Happy. And I, I'd read the reviews. I thought it was going to be like a hypnotist's idea on like a self-help book. But there's a lot of different um, nods to different types of philosophies. And like I, I've been reading into Stoicism quite a bit and some of that stuff. And he, he was really, he does a really good job of pulling lots of different references together. It's actually a pretty challenging read because he's got, such a crazy vocabulary. So that, that was a, a, good, a good turn up for the books, as we say, over here in the, in the UK. I was surprised by that. It's been a good read. That's funny, because the book I'm reading right now is on Stoicism. Oh, really? Wh- which one? How to Think Like Marcus Aurelius. Oh, okay. Is it one of the Ryan Halliday's books? It is not Ryan Halliday. It is by Donald Robertson, How to Think Like a Roman Emperor, The Stoic Philosophy of Marcus Aurelius. And it's been okay. Stoicism has been kind of the thing lately for me, so. Yeah, it's it's a good one. Yeah, I've definitely looked into stoicism. Oh, and uh, Jordan Peterson is it? Is it twelve steps, twelve stages? The uh, that that's a, that's another book that, that I've been into. But I, I do recommend I do recommend Readwise. So basically, when if you're on a Kindle, I, I read quite a bit on a Kindle. If you make your own highlights, what it does is it syncs up to uh, your Kindle account. And then it pulls down all of the highlights from all the books you've ever read. And, and what you can also do is actually list the other books that you've read, and then it will pull the common highlights. And then it, it pings six of them to your phone a day. 
So it's like going back to that make it stick, which is all about kind of repeated uh, testing of oneself and, and just revision of stuff. You'll go back and you'll reread this because a lot of these books, you know, especially if they're books for purpose rather than just enjoyment, it will help us trigger certain thoughts and it will bring us back around to things. So I, I recommend that read wise. It's been a useful tool. Yeah, that definitely is. I always underline and write things. So I think that that's great. I'm glad we're chatting because I think, hey, nothing better than someone who's also learning stoicism, but I'll send you book recommendations. You can send me anything as well. So this is perfect. Um, Love it. Real quick, will you tell me about your YouTube channel? Because I know you have a lot of great things towards mixed martial arts. And a lot of things that you've produced. So what can viewers from your channel expect? Yeah, I've been, I've never really known which direction to go with my channel. So uh, I kind of took the Gary V approach and was just like, whatever you feel like, just put it up there and put it out there. So you'll it. find, yeah, you'll find like funny things where I've um, commentated over the process of making a smoothie with my daughter. Uh, all the way through to um, some DIY fixes and how I how you can repair a a, uh, a faulty hose on your Bosch dishwasher. Uh, I just you know sometimes I like to do things that will help people, and other times it will be kind of educational. So there'll be some opinion pieces on MMA stuff, some vegan stuff in there, cooking various different recipes. Um, there was a bunch of triathlon stuff up there too from my journey to Ironman. I did an Ironman back in 2016, so I kind of did a, a vlogging thing for that some behind the scenes stuff but yes I need to I need to do a bit more a lot of the stuff I'm doing these days is more kind of interview based uh, putting that up there I am considering like a Patreon thing where I start to get more involved with with that community um, but at the moment I'm producing a lot of stuff for UFC Fight Pass and it's, it's taking a lot of my time so I don't want to kind of promise anything above and beyond what what I'm trying to achieve for, for essentially for a client right now. So yeah, but my socials like Instagram is probably where I'm most active. I tend to mar like promote anything that I'm doing on there. So if, if you're on there and you follow me there, you probably won't miss what I'm doing on, on YouTube because I'll be, I'll be talking about that too. Before I let you go, I have to know someone visiting London and they wanted to get a great vegan meal. What's your recommendation? Oh, London such a, it's kind of a big place. It's, there's a lot of stuff going on. Now, where would I say? Your whole demeanor just changed. Like, much like you talked about the producer can tell when you're thinking things, I can tell you just changed. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm trying to think what, what would work most uh, well, just generally. So there's a, a small chain. It's not like chain, chain, big like Starbucks chain, but it's a successful business called Mildred's. And they have probably about three venues that I, or three locations around London that I know of. And they were a, a vegetarian, vegan restaurant, but it's the kind of place where you can go for uh, lunch if, you know, in your working day, but also you can probably go for a date there as well in the evening. So it kind of does tick a few bases. And I've, I've been for a date with a couple of mates of mine there as well after work. So yeah, Mildred's, Mildred's is a good shout. We, we have got some fantastic places in London. If you head to places like Camden, uh, Camden Market, it's kind of world-renowned. You've got little stalls and they've got like a lot of your um, like fast food alternatives. They've got like cool pie places, um, falafel, and yeah, just, just a, 
just a full range you again you will not go hungry if you and you're a plant eater like me and you go to Canada they have everything else there as well but Mildred's is a good shout the greatest thing for me about the show is with the 500 people that we've had on every one of them inspires me in some ways and like today I'm going to scuba diving lessons because of another guest uh, Andy, oh, cool. Andy Torbett who's like the coolest guy on the planet he's a professional skydiver scuba diver all of it but for you You've inspired me. There's a BJJ place down the spot. I'm going to go there today, kind of pop my head in. I have a boxing background and I have a little bit of wrestling, but as far as traditional mixed martial arts, I have not. So I'm inspired to, to get on there. Because like you said, I want, to get, I want to get pounded down on the mat just to see how I react mentally. Yeah. Oh, that's very cool. That's very cool. And if I'm the catalyst for that, then that's wonderful. Because, yeah, I'm a lowly grade. But I would say, yeah, the gi. Brazilian jiu-jitsu, obviously, you've got the no gi and that's more... That's more closely related to, to wrestling. It's very, very fast. Um, but the gi offers so many cool little avenues. For example, you, can, you know, you get all your usual locks, but now there's this whole like lapel game. So you've got people called like squid guard and stuff like that, where you're wrapping the lapel around a leg and then you in some crazy sequence, all of a sudden you've spun them up in the air and you're on their back. And it's like, what the hell just happened? So I like the, the technical nature of the gi and, and you can slow it down because there's a lot more material and it's heavy sometimes, especially if you've been rolling for a few rounds. It allows you to think about things a little bit more as well and the mechanics. So yes, good for you. It, you will not regret it. I hope you're bitten by the bug. And I would just say, yeah, if you do start, then just, just keep on doing it and do a little bit of strength work. Don't people think that the jujitsu is that's your strength? No, 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 no. I, trust me, as someone who spends as much time injured as they do actually active, you have to do a little bit of strength work, um, just your normal compound kind of exercises to make sure your body's nice and fit because it does, it can take its toll, especially if you're not 21 anymore. So, yeah, I definitely give that a go. Very cool, very cool. I, I, I think that'll be big for me. Meditation is a big part of my daily, daily life, and I think that will be one. One more level, just in the introspection and everything. And well, it will help. Listen, the, the meditative side, like I, I, I like the meditation. I've had the Headspace app for years now, and I've, I've clocked up some, a decent amount of hours on there. I, I wouldn't say I'm daily. I'd love to say that I was daily, but I do. I have little runs of 30 every now and then. So, but breathing is super important in, in jiu-jitsu. Ah, that's another book that I'm just about to finish reading, although it was an audible book, Choke by Hicks and Gracie. Okay. So uh, the Gracie uh, family are the ones that brought Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu to the masses. And Hickson was probably one of the most prolific uh, proponents of Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. And uh, he, he's got a brilliant documentary that you can watch, but he breaks it down in, and it's fascinating. Like they would sire eight sons just so that they had an army of like men that could go out and spread the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu word, um, which, which was funny. It's obviously there's some negative aspects to that, of course. Uh, but, you know, valet judo fights on the beach kind of just, yeah, it's, it's mad. It's crazy. Some of the stuff that, that happens. So that's a, that's a good read. And if you're starting your Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu journey and you take some of the uh, philosophies of Hicks and Gracie, oh boy, you're going to be a dangerous guy. <laughs> 
Oh, I love it. I love it. Uh, just fascinating. I will say uh, that's one thing I learned from scuba is that the breathing too as well helps if you go slow. So I think it's it's just funny how all these different activities, you put them all together and you can just better yourself in so many different ways. Ways that you didn't yes. initially think as well. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, breathing is, is very important in jiu-jitsu, for sure. This was this was so much fun. I, I, I admire you and, and I just I love your mentality. Even the heck with all the UFC MMA stuff, just as a person, as a human, you're fantastic. And I love I love your outlook uh, and ethos on life. I love it. Oh, that's very cool of you to say. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for having me on. This has been a real pleasure. This was this was great. I hope we chat again. Yeah. Thank you for Cool, absolutely. Yeah, I'd love to come back. Good man. Thank you, sir. Nice right. to meet you. Cheers. All the best. Cheers. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. Check him out on YouTube. Visit his website, johngooden.co.uk and give him a follow on Instagram, johngooden.uk. Everyone has a story. Each person a scholar. Thank you for listening. Fill up that passport. I'll see you on the road. Aviento. Aviento.